All right. Well, I don't know how many of you were with us uh, last time I was here a few weeks ago, but if you were, uh, you may recall that I gave my personal testimony, and um, I really appreciated the opportunity to do that. And as I was praying about what to share this time, I began to think about a lot of the upheaval uh, that is happening in this world, Um, and specifically even in the United States, where we often, I think, take our freedoms for granted. Uh, We uh, talk a lot about freedom as Americans, uh, and also a lot about freedom as Christians, And one thing that I've realized in the past couple of years specifically is that it used to be that when there was a false teacher, they would be blatantly false and they would be against the Bible and it would be easy to spot them for that reason. And nowadays it seems like more and more false teachers are claiming to be Christians, claiming to speak for Jesus Christ, and yet falling short of the gospel. And so today I felt led to bring us to 2 Timothy chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles with you, if you would turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4, there are three realizations that I found in 2 Timothy chapter 4 as I was studying. And so these are the three points that I have for my message today, which is titled, Take a Stand and Finish Strong. Some of you, I'm sure, are the summer staff here at at Mishawana, and so you may be feeling a little bit drained as the first... Uh, month or so of summer camp is done, uh, but there's still more to come, I'm sure, and so maybe this will be an encouragement to you to finish the summer well, and then to carry that over uh, to continue on the Christian walk and to finish strong. Many times we can read in different uh, encyclopedias or different books of historical accounts the last words of famous people. I remember one in particular um, of a guy who was sitting on a horse and said something about no one could hit him at this distance. But in the middle of that sentence, he was, he was shot and fell off his horse and died. That was his last words. Um, I don't remember which war that was, but it, interestingly enough, last words tend to have significance. And in 2 Timothy, and particularly 2 Timothy chapter 4, we see Paul's last words to his son in the faith, Timothy. And so as we open uh, the word today, that is the context from which we are finding our message. And our first point is, our first realization from this passage is to realize the need to embrace the truth and share it boldly. As I said before, Many people are taking the, the scriptures and twisting them to mean what they want them to mean and to allow certain sinful behaviors that no Christian should be okay with. Now, I want to clarify quickly and say that doesn't mean that Christians don't sin. See, a lot of times the world will look at us and they'll say, but you're sinners, so why is our sin worse than your sin? Well, here's the simple answer. When I sin, I'm grieved about it, and God doesn't let me forget it until I make it right. I do not use my sin as an excuse for my behavior. Instead, I go to God with my sin, and I say, God, purge this sin from me. See, what the world does with sin is they will say, this is my natural desire, so I must live this way. And they give in to it, and it becomes 
a lifestyle. That is a difference. So let's read the first eight verses of 2 Timothy chapter 4 as we consider, again, the need to embrace the truth and share it boldly. 2 Timothy chapter 4 verses 1 to 8 read, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only but unto all them that love His appearing. Now in this passage, we see a couple different things. First of all, we see that as Paul is issuing his charge, he charges him by the highest authority possible, by the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the quick and the dead. Meaning whether you're living today or whether you've died previously, God will judge you at the end of time. And he says, because God will judge you, thankfully for Christians, he will judge you on the basis of Jesus' righteousness, and he will allow our works to burn up, and all the wood, hay, and stubble, all the stuff we did for ourselves will burn away, and all the stuff we did for Christ will last, and he will give us rewards based on that, and for the unbeliever, he will put them before the great white throne judgment, and judge them according to their works as they so boldly often proclaim. But Paul is saying, because Jesus, who is the judge, is my authority, I'm charging you in His name that you should preach the Word, be instant in season and out of season. Now what does this mean? Quite simply, it means be ready to preach at any time. And it's not just talking about getting up in a pulpit and preaching on Sunday morning, although often when I was younger I would read it that way. No, Paul says that you are our epistles known and read of all men. Do you realize that as you walk throughout the camp and interact with campers, uh, both people that rent spaces here in the RV park and kids that come to camp, you are being read by those campers. So my first question to you would be, what are they reading? We need to preach the word, be instant in season and out of season. And then it says, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. Now, some of these are rough words. Rebuke is not fun. It's not fun to rebuke people, but sometimes it is necessary. If you are in leadership over someone and they are doing something wrong, rebuke becomes necessary. But here's a key. It says, with all long-suffering and doctrine, which means two things. It needs to be with patience and it needs to be correct according to the Word of God. And why is holding to this doctrine so important? Why is it so important for us to know the doctrine of the Word of God? Verse 3 tells us that. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts 
shall they heave themselves teachers, having itching ears. And they will turn away their ears from the truth and be turned to fables. And we see that today. Many prominent, quote-unquote, Christian leaders are making excuses for sin. Instead of saying, God said this was wrong, so I'm going to stand for the fact that it's wrong. I have heard of preachers who have got up in their pulpits and told people that they believe God has shown them that abortion is right. The scourge of our nation which has taken 60 million lives and any lives that they may have produced themselves from this planet. I have heard of pastors who have gotten up in their pulpits and said that God just wants everyone to be able to love who they want to love. And so, any marriage is right. Even though Jesus said, Has not God said, I made them male and female at the beginning of time, and for this cause will a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they too will be one flesh. Why is this? It is a pleasurable thing. I'm not going to try to say that it's not, but it's made for the glory of God. And when we do it out of God's context, we miss His glory. That's just two issues where people have predominantly predominantly begun to stray in their theology, and there are more. But Paul says, But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist make full proof of thy ministry. And he says, endure afflictions. People are not going to like it when you preach the truth. They're not going to like it when you stand for the truth. Nobody in this world likes it when you talk about a moral authority. Everybody's like, we can do whatever's right in our own eyes. And yet, when there's violence in the streets, and when you open up your newspaper or your internet browser, as the case may be, and you hear about yet another attack in France, or wherever the next attack comes, they scratch their heads and they say, I wonder why this is happening. But I know the answer. The answer is because we're looking everywhere but to Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can make order out of this chaos. And why is this message so important to Paul? Verse 6 says, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. So Paul is saying, I'm ready to depart. I need to make sure that you, Timothy, are ready to pick up the mantle and carry on the ministry. See, I think this is where a lot of ministries fail as well. They build up a ministry around one man. And then when he dies, the ministry dies because it was all about him. That's why I purposely didn't put my name in my ministry name. My ministry is speaking for Him because it's all about Him. It's not about me. 
My goal is not to point you towards me. My goal is to point you towards Jesus Christ who changed my life in a way that no one else could and thus can do the same for you. And then Paul goes on and he says, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day and not to me only, but unto all them that love His appearing. This is a challenge for both you and I. Are we looking for the appearing of Jesus Christ? And I don't know what all of you believe about the end times, but the one thing that we know is that Jesus is coming back. Are we ready for that time? Will He find us watching and serving? Or will He find us forgetting? That's an important thing to ask ourselves. And as we go through this life, we need to realize that the only thing that we can bring with us when we go from this life is other people. You never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul. But you will see the legacy of people who come to funerals and say, that person is the reason that I'm walking closely with God. That's the legacy that we want to leave. Second Peter chapter 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 to 18 continues on in this importance of staying close to the truth. Even though people may try to dissuade us, it says, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables, which we made known, when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For He received from the God the Father honor and glory, When there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. If you recall, you will know that God told Peter, James, and John, don't tell anyone of this experience until I am risen. And so now that Jesus had gone back to glory, Peter is able to write it down in his epistle. This is something not that I have just heard about, not that it's hearsay, it's not like a bad game of telephone. I'm telling you as an eyewitness to his glory that I saw him and that he is coming again. What a blessing that we have that promise. Alright, so our first realization is that we need to embrace the truth and share it boldly. A.W. Tozer said this about the Christian life. He said, The unattended garden will soon be overrun with weeds. The heart that fails to evaluate the truth and root out error will shortly be a theological wilderness. 
One of Paul's other urgings was that we would not be tossed about by every wind and wave of doctrine. Does your doctrine change every day when you hear something new? No, it shouldn't because it should be rooted in the firm foundation of Jesus Christ. So what is our second realization? Our second realization is that there is a cost to following Christ. 2 Timothy Chapter 4, verses 9 to 18. Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me, for Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica, Christians to Galatia, Titus unto Demolatia. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. And Tychicus have I sent to Ephesus. The cloak that I left at Troas with Capirus, when thou comest, bring with thee, and the books, but especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. Of whom be thou ware also, for he hath greatly withstood our words. At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me preaching, that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all Gentiles might hear that I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work, and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So Paul begins to outline for Timothy. He's like, I want you to come to me shortly. I need you, Timothy. But then he also says, this is why I need you. Because Demas, who I had so much hope for, has left me. Because he loved the things of this world. There's a passage in one of Peter's epistles. I think it's 2 Peter. Where it says, if your friends say, why do you run not with us? And it talks about the sacrifice of your friendships for your faith. I go into the Kent County Jail every month and preach. And one of the things I I always tell the guys is that you might have to give up some friends if you want to serve the Lord and if you want to make sure that you don't come back here. Paul said it this way. He said, evil company corrupts good manners. It doesn't get any more straightforward than this. But Demas chose to forsake Paul because he loved the world. Now, we don't know the detail of that. It's not important. All we need to know is that he left. And then um, certain other people were leaving for their assignments. Not all of these are bad leavings, but they're not with Paul. And he's lonely. So another thing to to remember about this is, is that this Christian life is not meant to be a solitary pursuit. Paul often traveled with groups. Luke was often with him, as we read here. But also... 
Barnabas and Silas were also partners of Paul. And then Paul talks about some practical things. Bring my books and my parchments. And then in verse 14 he says, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. Sometimes when people do us evil or they're mean to us, we just want to be mean back to them. But God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay saith the Lord. But what a legacy to have written in Holy Scripture that you were evil to one of God's called apostles. And Alexander, it says, he greatly withstood our words. He resisted the truth. And then Paul says, all men forsook me. The psalmist says it this way, if all men forsake me, if my father and mother even forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. So, another thing that I would bring to your mind is it's easy to stand for Christ when you're at a camp, Christian camp. Thank God for those oases. I love going to family camp every summer. It's a great place to be. But then when camp is over, you have to go and you may go into an environment, whether it be college or back to high school or wherever it is you're headed, where you may be the only one or one of only two. I was listening to Daniel this morning for my devotions and listened to the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. And the king said, if you don't bow down to my statue, I'm, I'm going to burn you up in the furnace. And they said... If you throw us in the furnace, the Lord is able to deliver us. But even if He does not, we will not bow down or worship the image that you have set up. The key phrase there is, even if He does not, God does not always deliver us out of earthly trouble. But even if He does not, He's still good. Even if He does not, He still has a plan and He's still working it out. And then he says, I pray that God would not lay it to their charge, the fact that everyone forsook him, very much like Jesus, who said, Father, forgive them. But then he says, The Lord stood with me and he strengthened me so that my preaching might be known to all the Gentiles that they might hear that I was delivered from the mouth of a lion. And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work, and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So, the Lord would preserve Saul as long as he needed to be. There was one time when Saul was particularly discouraged. You can read about it in the book of Acts. And God said, don't worry, Paul. There's many people here in this city that I still need to reach with the gospel you will be safe. Now tradition tells us that shortly after he penned these words in 2 Timothy chapter 4 that he was beheaded by Nero for his faith. But Paul knew that to depart and be with Christ is far better as Philippians chapter 1 says. Paul's motto was for to me to live as Christ 
and to die is gain. It's the best win-win situation you can ever find yourself in. 1 John 2, 1 John 2, 15 and 16, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. You see, when we pursue our own ways, when we go against God's standards, we are loving the world. And the devil doesn't have any new material. All he does is take what God gives as good and pervert it and put it in his own form. Intimacy is a great thing between a husband and a wife. I'm here because my parents loved each other. But I'm also the man I am today because they've been faithful to one another for 38 years. That's what we need. I know for some of you it seems like a long way off, but for others it might not be that you may be soon contemplating who it is you will marry. I would encourage you that you would think about this, not just in terms of, I love this person, I want to be with them for the rest of my life, which is undoubtedly part of it, but that you would realize that as you embark upon that, that you are becoming a picture of Christ and His church. And that the purpose of your marriage is not simply to love one another, but to glorify God. And to give an example to the world that you may be in tatters, you may be in chaos, but this is how God's people do it. Martin Luther said, A a religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, and suffers nothing is worth nothing. One of my friends, well-meaning though she may be, she says often that God does not want Christians to suffer. I have to beg to differ with that because if our own Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, suffered on the cross for us because of the awfulness of sin, how can we expect anything less than to suffer in some way for Him? The day may be coming when you may even have to endure physical suffering in this country for the sake of the gospel. The question is, are you going to be prepared? Are you going to be ready? Are you going to be willing? You know, if you look at the persecuted church and you see all these people that have died for the gospel, and more people are dying for the gospel today than ever before, there's one thing that they all have in common, and that is that they will not keep their mouths shut. Okay, finishing up our chapter. We will see a, a, a few final verses, and often they're kind of read fast, and 
not really contemplating. But I want you to see here Paul's gift. One of Paul's big gifts was to encourage and exhort people by name so that they would be encouraged in the faith. And he says this, Salute salute Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesephorus, Erastus abode at Corinth, but Trophimus have I left at Miletum sick. Do thy diligence to come before winter. Eubulus greeteth thee, and the Puritans, and Linus, and Claudia, and all the brethren. The Lord Jesus Christ be with thy spirit. Grace to you. Amen. I don't know about you, but if I had a friend and a mentor, and they were writing a final letter to me, these are the kind of words that I would want to read. Realizing the importance of commendation. And realizing that we don't know when the last time we will see someone is. May that spur us on to have a more encouraging outlook on the way that we encourage one another. May I simply challenge you that we need each other in this life? Oh, we can pretend to walk alone. We can think that we have this Christian life all figured out. But God didn't say that you are one person in Christ. He said you're one body in Christ. We call each other brother and sister because we have one Father and that is God. I take that very seriously. I love my brothers and sisters in the Lord. It's their encouragement that helps me to go on day by day continuing to preach the Word of God. And I want to encourage you to encourage one another because as you go about your camp responsibilities or whatever else you have facing you this week, you will need encouragement. You will not feel enthusiastic 24-7. I remember working in camp ministry and Sunday night, beginning of the week, I always felt full of energy. And by the middle of the week, I was ready to crash. And it was the encouragement of people that worked alongside me that kept me going to the end of the week and to the end of the summer. And face-to-face communication is so important too. We, we get so caught up in our mobile devices, I know I do, or Facebook or whatever social network you happen to prefer. But there's nothing better than a face-to-face conversation with a friend. In Third John, the Apostle John relates this thought when he says in verse 14 of this short one chapter epistle but I trust I shall shortly see thee and we shall speak face to face peace be to thee our friends salute thee greet the friends by name and once again it can be nice to get a general greeting but Isn't it nicer to have someone greet you by name? 
If they know your name, that means that you can know without a shadow of a doubt that they're concerned with you as, with you as an individual. I really feel that this is an important thing. I just want to share this little illustration with you. It says, A compliment can be a great motivator, particularly if you put a little thought into the why, when, and how of delivering it. Be sure to comment when, whenever someone on your staff keeps working in the face of rejection, handles a difficult situation well, catches an error, gives another employee a helping hand, sells a particular product for the first time, or gives you a lead that proves fruitful. Most of the time, a compliment should be given in public, either at a meeting or on a company bulletin board. If the situation is delicate, convey your praise through a personal note that the employee can share with his family. As with all rewards, praise should be given immediately after good performance to provide the greatest reinforcement. No one was better at that than the Apostle Paul. This whole two epistles of First and Second Timothy was all about encouraging him to continue to preach the word. I want to encourage you to continue to preach the word in your actions, in your working with the kids, in whatever it is that you're facing this week, continue to preach the word. When people look at you, will they see a difference? Because, my friends, people need the Lord. If the chaos in the last few months to a year have shown us anything, it's that people need the Lord. My question to you is, do you know the Lord? If you don't know the Lord, it can be hard to take these things that Paul is saying to Timothy to heart because Paul is talking to a man that he knows is already following the Lord. And he's saying, stay rooted in the truth. Don't be drawn away. So the question is, are you following the Lord? Have you made a personal decision to follow Him? I would encourage you to do that today. The Philippian jailer once asked Paul, what must I do to be saved? And Paul said simply, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. My prayer for you is that you would be saved. And if you are saved, that you would be so committed to Christ that whatever happens, you will follow Him. We may not be beheaded for Christ in our lifetime, but we should be prepared for it. And most of all, we should be prepared to give people the hope that is found only in Jesus Christ. Jesus said it this way, without me you can do nothing. And then Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's a great divide. And there is no middle ground. 
either do nothing without Christ or do all things that He calls you to through His strength. That's the choice. Will you be broken for Him? One day a plain village woman Driven by love for her Lord Recklessly poured out a valuable essence Disregarding the scorn And when it was broken and spilled out A fragrance filled all the room Like a prisoner released from his shackles Like a spirit set free from the tomb for love of you Jesus her most precious treasure lavished on you broken and spilled out and poured at your feet in sweet abandon spilled out and used up for thee Lord you were God's precious treasure his love and his own perfect son sent here to show us the love of the father just for love it was done and though you were perfect and holy you gave up yourself willingly you spend no expense for my pardon you were used up and wasted for me <clears throat> Broken and spilled out Just for love of me, Jesus Your most precious treasure Lavished on me Broken and spilled out And poured at my feet in sweet abandon Lord you were spilled out and used up for me in sweet abandon let me be spilled out and used up for thee Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we count it a great privilege to call you Father.
Paul said that it is because of your blood, the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, that we can come boldly into the throne room of grace and not only have an audience with you, but to call you Abba, Father. And so we thank you. Lord, I thank you for each person in this room. I pray that we would, we would all be as Timothy, rightly dividing the word of truth, preaching in season and out of season, sharing the love of God with a world that needs it, being broken and spilled out for you. I pray your blessing upon each person here. pray that you would make your face to shine upon them and give them peace and go with them wherever they go. In Jesus' name, amen.